Hi, folks. Welcome to another Wildlife for You podcast. I'm Stephanie Payne, joined here by my co-host, Daryl Ratajak, and we talk about wildlife and conservation in ways that make sense. So speaking of COVID... <laughs> we were, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you got your old um, thingamajoo in your, in your arm. <laughs> I, I know I'm not supposed to ask you that. <laughs> yes, I have been vaccinated. Oh, good. Well... Me too. So keep up the good work there. But anyway, I thought what would be good for us to talk about as this human world, this world that we live in slowly starts to kind of reemerge from this whole pandemic, hence why I brought up COVID. We know we've been in this kind of pandemic related confinement. All, all humans have been there practically. We thought it'd be interesting for this podcast to talk about how how the world of wildlife may have been affected by this pandemic. Yep. Big, huge, broad, gigantic topic. So, so where do you want to start? Well, since you kind of put the bug in my ear about this podcast and you were the one that wanted to talk about it, why don't you tell me, like, what even spurred this thought? Oh, um, well, you know, I was thinking about things that we could talk about this week, and I just so happened to remember a video that we talked about on a prior episode. It was the video where Mark Rober, the incredibly smart um, engineer, he was, because he was on lockdown, like all of us, he decided to become a backyard birder, and he ended up creating a a squirrel ninja warrior course. Um, But I mean, seemingly overnight, People went from hearing things like traffic noise to hearing birds and being, you know, kind of bored with what's going on in their daily life. Now, everybody on lockdown, no cool new news. They seem like they became more interested in the daily drama and comedy of wildlife watching. So, you know, suddenly all of these these stuck at home people decided to try and reconnect with nature in some way, you know, in some some made it to like large recreational areas and started taking up some out- outdoor activities at national parks or forests or whatever. But the vast majority just pretty much decided to, to stay home and to try to do this from their, their own backyard or their own subdivision. Yeah. And folks like Mark Rober decided to make a squirrel ninja warrior course, which <laughs> if you haven't seen well, the video folks, that, that was pretty darn cool. It was cool. And it was obviously before lumber prices, like, like went oh, up yeah. 380%. I guarantee that he went, he would, he would be building the ninja course out of metal or aluminum now. So. Yep. Yep. Um, but, but speaking of all that, I, I remember you showed me an article, I think it was from the Audubon sometime last year. And when, when this pandemic hit us and hit us all pretty hard, you can imagine like all the, all the other elements of the economy, they were pretty much tanking. They were doing terrible. But the one thing that stuck out from that article was the bird feeder and bird seed business was actually booming. Yeah, exactly. So I started to wonder about the, the overall effects of the pandemic on wildlife. And you know what happens when, when I get to thinking. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of scary because I'm like half expecting to turn my gaze eastward in your direction and see like a little mushroom cloud developing over your house. (laughs) (laughs) Your brain just works way different than mine. And like if you you get a 
access to spoiled milk in a car battery, you could probably start a nuclear explosion. But <laughs> anyway, when you get to thinking, literally, Steph, my brain hurts. So I imagine there's a lot on this topic we can cover. Yeah, I I I agree. So go ahead, you can give me a, a such as. Well, when it comes to the effect of the pandemic on wildlife, uh, we mentioned about that boom in the bird feeding business. So um, I imagine we have better birds, for example. <laughs> so, okay. So in some cases, I would agree. But but think deeper than that for a minute. You know, we we introduce tons of new food sources for birds, which I am sure the birds love. But what happens when we throw a rock into a pond? Uh, we get the infamous ripple effect. Exactly. So, so now we have hordes of new folks popping out new feeders and falling in love with the songs of finches and sparrows. But what next? Well, I assume... In, in fact, no, I'm not even going to assume. I, I am fairly confident that those new wildlife lovers that we attracted, those new bird feeders, that they probably didn't research like best management practices or, or best practices to keep birds healthy. So along with their newfound interest, we quite possibly could have introduced millions or potentially millions of new quote-unquote disease spreaders bingo so these new bird people mean not only newly fat birds but we now may have more of these disease portals that when you think about it it could actually affect the overall population of birds so mm -hmm. what else we got well I, uh, I admit I am going to be going more global than uh, than we generally like throughout the course of our topic, but I mean, I do I do really just want to create some food for thought, you know. And and it's a global pandemic, so you're okay if I go global, right? Yeah, I I think besides going global, it's just that idea of letting our minds wander. Because there's so many, it's such a broad topic, what we're, what we're getting ourselves into here. It kind of reminds me of that podcast we did a few weeks ago about animal emotions. We more or less just, just went in different directions because it's such a huge topic and such a big, fun thing to talk about. Yeah. Well, that, and you know, I agree. It is a huge topic and there's so many different facets to think about, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm really glad because you normally like to keep it reined in a little bit more to, you know, at least North America. So, so anyway, so another effect from the pandemic is, you know, people who had to make a choice between, between feeding themselves and their family or feeding, you know, Fluffy the cat. So in lots of places, and I mean, lots of places across the world, we're now dealing with way higher populations of abandoned dogs and cats. Yeah, and the thing is, abandoned cats especially are a bad thing. And I'm, I hate to do this to you, Steph, but I'm going on my first tangent because I am now officially boycotting the city of Chicago. Is Did it you, because of the Blackhawks? I don't like the Blackhawks. Don't bring them up. But no, it's not, <laughs> be, not because of the Blackhawks. It's, it's because of 
what some organization, a nonprofit organization thought would be a great job to battle their, their rat problem. They thought it would be a great idea to spay and neuter up to a thousand cats and release them into the streets of Chicago to help them with their rat problem. And I think that is such a horrible idea because you know that cats are pretty much the, the biggest killer of songbirds. So anyway, this whole idea of these burgeoning populations of abandoned dogs and, and cats, not just abandoned, but uh, literally released in the case of Chicago. Anyone, anyway, this, this all plays into like the effect, this pandemic effect and, and kind of the consequences of, of humans here. Uh, you know, yes, yes and no, um, but it's, it's more like a thought just about invasive species and, and the cats and dogs, those were just kind of the start of that thought, you know, but, but how many of those newly introduced animals are now affecting wildlife, you know, cause cats, the cats aren't going to just walk around like the ones in Chicago. They're not going to walk around and be like, sorry, I can't eat that. It's not a rat. You know, that, that's just not how nature works. It's not how animals work, but, but you know, there's, there's a lot of natural places where, where constant management and work help to keep invasive things from taking over. So I'm just curious how much, you know, how much spread of, of exotics or invasives has occurred because humans were out of the picture. And so they weren't, you know, working to continue that, that containment or that struggle. You know, I got to say that's, such a good point. And I don't believe most of our listeners understand how much work is truly being done to control invasive species. And I do know, like on our federal and, and state lands, those public lands that we love, oftentimes there's like an inordinate amount of work done simply to control invasives. And I know a lot of things came to a halt during that pandemic. So that's that's just another deep and interesting thought you had there, Steph. Right, right. And then it's a work halt. So but now then then we've got the money. Show me the money. But oh <laughs> yeah, I, I sound nothing like Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> or no, that was kind of, was it Cuba Gooding Jr. or Tom Hanks? I don't know. I think it was no, that was Cuba Gooding Jr. But I think yeah. it was actually it wasn't Cuba Gooding Jr necessarily or tom hanks you're actually thinking of tom cruise <laughs> well i just yeah <laughs> I, i'm not gonna be an actor i've got a terrible memory <laughs> yeah we're just we're just let's, let's just leave that one alone <laughs> yeah um remind me never ever to try to do impersonations again the only impersonation i'll do is of old man johnson <laughs> deal anyway um I literally have no idea where we're going with it. Oh, the, the whole money thing. We, we're just so scattered. We're all over the place right now. Well, okay. I know, I know, I know. And I'm sorry. I promised to try to sort of, as best I can, make this all sort of fall together. It's, But it's literally, like I said, it's a ginormous, huge, big, broad topic that one thought just pings to another and another. So, so when I was thinking about the lack of people working on say, you know, a natural area to keep invasive or exotic species at bay. And my mind jumps to the legitimate exotic species, the true, you know, like we're talking like the, the big exotics and how the lack of people going anywhere 
has removed critical conservation elements. Oh, kind of like how people couldn't travel to Africa uh, because of this pandemic. So the, the money they would have spent at those like protected safari areas, it suddenly wasn't being spent. Yes, yes. And, you know, that that money is often directly related to funding the continued protection of habitats or species. You know, so if that money isn't being spent because nobody could go anywhere, that means that there's no money for conservation. So, you know, for example, the people who protect these areas from poachers, you know, suddenly they're stuck at home. They're likely not getting paid to come back until tourism kicks back up. And we all know that really hasn't happened yet. And that's a long time. So that really got my gears going because, you know, the, the human wildlife model is far more complex than most people give it credit for. It is, but can you do me a favor, Steph? I, I'm going to ask you to clarify. What, what exactly do you mean by this human wildlife model? Okay, so what I mean by the human wildlife model is the dynamics that exist between those two worlds. You know, we, we generally consider human wildlife things in terms of like conflict or cohabitation, um, but, but it's, it's more diverse and inclusive than that, you know? So in my, in my head, the human wildlife model is not only conflicts and attacks and learning methods to coexist and wildlife management, and all that jazz, it's all the other dynamics that also come to play. You know, conservation dollars related to ecotourism is a good example. You know, human land use of public lands, that's another example. Um, I mean, geez, a real model would like, would scale to look at all of the influences and effects because it, it's really, it's a very dynamic model. So, and I, I also, I have to say, since we back our information with science, a lot of the discussion that we're going to be have, uh, be have, be having, yeah. Um, yeah, about this, you know, about the pandemic, a lot of that is going to be spot on observationally, but, you know, there's, there's going to be some speculation that we got to throw out about the data that drives the science, because that's going to come far later, you know, the, the data that's driving the science concerning what happens during and, and, and after an anthropause, it takes a while. Anthropause? I think that was the first time I, I heard that word. What, it's kind of a cool word, actually. I, right? I mean, so I, I love, I wish I could take credit for that one because it is awesome. I, I have no idea who coined the term. Um, I read it one day in a, in a science magazine article and, and I loved it. Uh, but I mean, it's perfect because anthro means human so it's literally a human pause yeah and I, I like what you said about how it, it might take a while for us to learn things because we, we learn time and time again that it's often many years before we usually see the outcome of things that happen in nature so I can't see why this situation would be any different with with this this pause that occurred in the human world it's going to have huge ramifications in the wildlife world. And yeah, we just got to sit back and, and wait to see what those ramifications are. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to see that for a long time, potentially, because, 
you know, and, and that's why I said that in my head, the, the human wildlife model, we've split it into little segments to be a little more bite-sized and a little more easy for our, our, our you know, brains to be able to, to comprehend, but, but it's really, I, I don't know, maybe we should actually work on making one of those, Daryl, but anyway, so this <laughs> anthropause, it has opened up all of these areas of interest and, you know, it's to study and, you know, see how wildlife is reacting or has reacted to the lack of people and people stuff. Um, you know, like, like noise pollution, less cars, less emissions, less boat traffic, less stress um, to some animals, more stress to other animals, you know, um, less money in ecotourism. I mean, it's really a very huge topic to think about. It's so easy, like we do with their to take this, you know, this butter knife and spread this thin layer of jelly out on the top of a sandwich and be like, oh, look how cool that is. But that's not the whole story. You know, there's a whole lot that goes behind that jelly. Um, it's, a, it's a huge topic, especially if you look at both sides, you know, what's been, things been good for wildlife and then potentially what's hurting the wildlife. Yeah. And those good things or those helpful things are probably, it's probably obvious to us. So things like with this human pause, you undoubtedly are going to have less animals hit by cars, right? Well, I mean, unless you're, you know, you're a scientrope who's become pretty dependent on eating roadkill. Ho, 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 whoa. Red flag, yellow flag, you throw whatever color flag, I'm stopping it here because you just unleashed some geek speak right there if I ever heard it. And I, I love it because I, I wasn't all too familiar. It's It's been a long time since I've heard that word scientrope. And so scientrope, dear listeners, are those animals that have, well, they kind of have like a different relationship with humans. Most animals pretty much like to stay away from people. And the scientropes kind of are benefited by people. It's not that they're wholly dependent on people, but people are humans. They play a big role. So those members of a species like they might live near us or benefit from us, this association with humans. And usually the, the things we build around us also become a benefit to those animals. Like take, for example, chimney Swiss. Um, well, obviously they love nesting in chimneys. They but, obviously nested in more natural areas. What, what, what were you yeah, going to I was going to ask you, because they're called chimney Swiss. What, what did we call them before we had chimneys? Rockcliffe Swiss. <laughs> Hollow tree Swiss. No. I don't know, but we've had chimneys for a long, long time. But but definitely chimney Swiss are, are uh, it's a species that definitely benefit from living around the human environment. But uh, another big one is something like vultures. Um, obviously with the, the whole roadkill stuff, but, you know, pigeons or or one of my favorites the the good old masked bandits we we did a whole podcast on on those raccoons or those trash pandas are you you done i could keep going if you want me to but i think so (laughs) now why the heck was i defining scientrope (laughs) because because you said lots of animals benefited from the anthropology you know there's fewer cars which means those you know less animals killed from a collision with a car. And I, I agree that is definitely beneficial. 
unless you're one of those scientists who has, you know, a true niche. That's where they rely on the majority of their food. To- yeah. And I, I did, to my credit, I did throw out vultures um, out there because they truly do benefit from roadkill from vehicles. But very good point. Uh, but you, you know what the moral of this story is? Animals, and this is my moral of the story, but animals should never rely on humans because eventually we'll let them down. <laughs> Just look at <laughs> look at those scientropes. If they were reliant upon us for roadkill, we went ahead and had this big old pandemic, and so we let them down again. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a natural tendency of humans, I think. But good point. But honestly... You know, that it just kind of, it, again, it plays into that, that this is a very complicated topic. So, I mean, literally, if you start really thinking about the potential impacts, you know, like, sure, less, less deer or whatever were hitting the road, but how many more were illegally poached because somebody needed food for the family because, you know, they lost jobs and stimulus money only goes so far, you know, but total, and that's, that's for the record, that's like a total speculation, but you know, just I'm kind of throwing things out there because there's a lot of those just really high level perfunctory things that we've seen either on social media or in like, you know, armchair biologist journalists who are like, whoa, the pandemic's awesome for animals, you know? So it's really just thinking, okay, sure, on the surface, but what happens when we all really start to think deeply about it? You know what this whole discussion reminds me of? It, it reminds me of those discussions we have about trophic cascades. How intricate, that, that web of interconnectedness that Mother Nature is. And that one little, one little ripple can, can send shockwaves across the entire web. So you, you can have two seemingly, like literally completely unrelated beings or events that could then have major impacts on a subsequent chain of events leading to a completely unexpected outcome. <laughs> and that, that sounded real confused. It sounded better in my head than what it sounded like coming from my mouth. But um, for example, take when we're talking trophic cascades, an example is like the introduction of a fish species that could then have profound impacts on elk. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but with that introduction of lake trout to the Yellowstone waterways, those lake trout outcompeted the native cutthroats, which spawned in different areas. They, the cutthroats spawned upstream that was a food source for grizzlies. And when the lake trout were introduced, those cutthroat numbers died down seriously which eliminated a food source for grizzlies. So then they started predating on or preying on elk calves more. And so a fish impacted elk populations or or played a a role in impacting elk populations. It it just becomes so, so interesting to see how tied it is. Um, And the one I think you could relate to more um, because I believe you and I were on the same hike where we watched these midges in a pond and a single sparrow came down the the midges that we're watching these little tiny insects were hatching from a pool of water and they were trying to make it across this body of water but there was literally a symphony of dragonflies that were picking them off it was the most amazing thing because those dragonflies 
would pick off literally every midge that tried escaping. And then the presence of a little sparrow that just showed up on the edge of that pond made all of those dragonflies disappear. And then suddenly the midges could get to where they're going. And so I, I just love, love seeing those, that cascading effect of how one little event or one being could have this ripple effect that one would never even think about or consider. So, I mean, anyway. wait, 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 hold on. No, 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 wait. So you said you love that, that you love the tropic cascades and the ripple effects. So in nature, the, because uh, yeah, I remember the, the dragonflies and the one thirsty bird. Next thing you know, all the, the little insects are like free for all run. <laughs> but, um, you know, the introduction of the trout. So we, in our infinite wisdom, um, you know, and I'm not saying that COVID was something that was our fault, but lots of decisions that we made as individuals and as, as communities and as countries, lots of those decisions somehow, some way have an effect on wildlife, just yes. like the, the trout. And like you just said, we, we make these decisions without the most remote idea generally of how it's going to have a long standing, long lasting. And we, by the time we, we figure it out, because we've seen empirical evidence, a way deep disturbance in the, well, in the force. <laughs> yep. Well, well, just look, let, let's bring it back to this whole pandemic. Now, I'm not going into the whole conspiracy thing of, of whether or not the virus was created or anything like that. But just think about this, this tiny alteration of this minute little virus, this coronavirus, with the effect it had on humans, now has literally an impact on almost all species across the world, whether or not it's mammals or, or birds or fish. It's just crazy to think about one, one little tweak of something can have a global effect. Yeah, that's called a mutation, by the way. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> but you know, tiny little whatever, whatever, I can't remember what you said about it, but um alteration yeah it made me think that it had his little skirt or it's little you know little jeans brought up an inch <laughs> brought up the hem a little bit yeah but anyway but that's great it's a great point and that's the whole kind of what what got me really thinking this would be a really interesting topic because now consider how some species that you know even species that are just shy around humans maybe they've become they've spent the last year learning to become more bold because humans were suddenly gone. They're, they're traveling and, and venturing into places or out of places where they've not traditionally gone, you know, and, uh, you know, goats, there's goats of, of, you know, wandering city streets in Wales, you know, jackals that are congregating in parks in some North African city or something in like a real city, but you know, stuff like that. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I might not be buying what you're selling there, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially with the, the goat um, story about animals now doing some of the those things that we normally don't see because surely there's there's novel incidents everywhere that and I deal with it all the time where someone will see an animal doing something strange or out of out of their ordinary behavior suddenly they think that all the animals are doing that that strange behavior no, I mean, yeah, for sure. There's these are these are definitely anecdotal instances, but there's ripples. I mean, something spurred coyotes originally to enter urban areas. They're more bold than some of their 
their shire cousins. So what if this you know, discovery by some packs of jackals that have been hanging out in cities now for months and saying, oh, geez, there's food sources here. There's trash. Same things that coyotes. And there's there's now there's all these stray dogs and stray cats because people are putting them out. So, oh, look, it's 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 snack time. So what if that then leads to the jackals adapting their behavior to become more like urban wildlife? Because you know, they were afraid to even step their, their toes into that pool while there were so many people around. But now that they've been experienced it and they've, they've gotten a taste of it. I mean, what, what's to say that especially species that adapt to their behavior more quickly than others, what's to say that this isn't going to, we don't know, you know, we don't know. Yeah, no, that that's, that's a really good point. I, I never really thought about that. So that's why I absolutely love these discussions because it's like, huh. That yeah, and really, really cool. And then on the flip side of that, you know, because again, we the, the hardest part of this discussion is not just staying down a linear path. It's flipping the coin every single time you think of something and trying to think of the opposite. So what about those those touristy scientropes? You know, like all those all those animals at the tourist places that they only survive mostly because of of human handouts or human trash or human, you know, leavings. I, I love what you just said about flipping the coin. That, that's that whole key point of critical thinking, trying to look at both sides of the story. We, instead of just taking a path that you wanted to go and just going down that path, you got, you got to flip the coin over every once in a while and say, well, what's the flip side of this? So I, I love your way of thinking, just so you know, but um Thanks. As you, were, as you were talking there, I was thinking about a, a couple other things, like coral reefs doing better, obviously because of uh, less traffic and less human human influence on them, or or like endangered turtles. They're, they're having more successful nesting without all those crazy, crowded human beaches. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you mean like human crowded beaches, not like the turtles are climbing over beaches. No, no humans, they're human right? beaches. They're, they're human <laughs> beaches that the, the turtles have to hike over the bodies of humans that are laying there. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it, for the record, actually, yeah, there was actually an increase on loggerhead turtle nesting where they saw, you know, like a double digit increase um, over the past year because of that, because they, you know, what, what, keeps the the endangered loggerhead turtle from coming up on the beach where it's supposed to lay eggs well it's the people the lights and the noise <laughs> well suddenly that was all gone you know um yeah. and of course like you know the, the the there's less algae boosting pollutants getting kicked into the waterways you know i don't know and that's that's kind of a maybe i'm not thinking like i mean it was agricultural production did that decrease does that mean we're going to have less algae blooms and you know red tides does that mean we're going to have better you know, fish popular. I don't know. You know, there's so much to think about here, but it's like, if you think about the scope of activity changes across the globe with people, so people activities, what is the total scope of every activity change that happened with people across the globe over the past year? And then you have to multiply that by all of those, this wildlife species that those activities normally have an effect on, or, you know, whether it's that they suddenly do have an effect or suddenly that effect has been lifted. Well, believe it or not, Steph, the more we talk about this, th this is going to sound crazy, but, but just follow along. 
literally the more hope it gives me because here's where I'm going. Us humans, we're seeing this widespread global effect of this anthropause, this sudden change in human behavior is, is having widespread effect on so many things in the wildlife or the natural world, we'll say. So here's where I'm going. I think if we humans truly put our minds and efforts towards change where we all get along and we, we all do it. So whether or not it's, it's climate change or plastics in the ocean or, or world peace, heck, we've got the power to literally affect the globe. But having said that, here's something that truly scares me. We can make a difference if we let the good science and like the sound decisions, like really making really good decisions. If, if we let the science help lead the way. Wait, wait, wait. So why, why does that scare you to let good science lead the way? Well, just think about it. What happens today when people need information? Who, who do you think they turn to? Ah, they turn to the almighty Google gods. Exactly. And, and we all know that Google simply being like a search engine can often be full of crap. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, it, it, but... no, yeah, it's not vetted information. It's just information. Yeah, it, and so... The masses, like I just said, the masses have the ability to to have a global impact if we all get together. And the problem is if the masses are, are getting their information, depending on what source they're going to for their information, uh, there's a lot of people out there that have a really hard time sifting through and sorting out that good information and that bad information. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was that saying that you you told me not so long ago? Something like, uh, like nowadays with so much information at their fingertips, people aren't interested in finding facts or truth. They're simply interested in finding others that support their beliefs, no matter how misguided it might be. I'm impressed. <laughs> you must have like a photographic memory or something. You're just shocked when somebody pays attention to what you say. <laughs> That too, because you you pretty much nailed it. I I, I love that thing. People are not interested in finding the facts or finding the truth. They just want someone else to think like them, and, and they're just looking for that 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 back little up. stitch of support. Yeah, they just want backup. They want yeah. a pat on the back and add a boy and a good job. And I completely agree with you. Continue on. Yeah. Yeah, and and so anyway, just just looking at this whole situation. I hate to say it, but because of this inability for for folks to know what what to believe, what not to believe, it puts a tremendous onus on us. We're the educators here. So our job is not only to teach our students the good stuff, and hopefully you trust enough, uh, trust us enough to know that we're we're trying to provide you the good stuff. But literally what we're also trying to do is to teach you how to think critically for when we're not around. So anyway, man, I, I think that's that whole idea of trying to figure out what's good information and, and what's bad information. Man, I smell another podcast coming up. <laughs> <laughs> well, stop sniffing around and, uh, and help me wrap this one up. Um, you know, this, this pandemic induced anthropause you know, has had 
crazy widespread effects. It's, it's very complex. Now, you know, we all know what it's, what it's done to human populations, but it's, it's also had major, major impacts on wildlife, some of which we won't even realize until years down the road. You know, some of those effects can be good. Some maybe not so good. What's good for one might end up being bad for another, you know? So, you know, what do you, what do you want to do regarding this? Well, let me, let me just start that over. So what, what we want you to do regarding this show and, you know, our slightly off key rambling here, it's just to give it some thought, you know, what do you think are some of the good and bad impacts when, when humans, well, when, when we stop being humans for a while, man, holy cow. I, 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 believe it or not, I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. This is this is such a fun topic to just sit around and discuss while you're snacking on s'mores and sitting around the campfire, counting the stars. Anyway, what do you say officially? I, I know we're we're past time, so what do you say we start wrapping this up? Well, officially, I say you're a killjoy, but fine, <laughs> you can go ahead and start wrapping it up. Okay. So as always, we want to say thanks to everybody who's tuned in and who listens to us. Obviously, we would recommend that you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and share um, the link to our our podcast with family, friends, um, the guy on the corner of the street, whoever, you know, they they just need a smartphone. That's all we need. Um, Obviously, you can visit us online at www.wildlifeforyou.com. And then, of course, our favorite forum and the way that you can actually communicate back and forth with us is through Facebook or the Book of Faces. Again, just search for Wildlife For You, all the words um, all spelled out. So no number four shortcuts or anything. But mostly, I would ask you to remember when it comes to wildlife, your knowledge is their existence. I was wondering if you were going to say that. You were going to leave it up to me to say. Oh, I was kicking it around. See, that wasn't so bad. Can't you take a day off from thinking about things? Where's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs>